to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey everyone, uh, I hope everyone's doing well and enjoying the slow end towards summer and the beginning of fall. Things are going well in China. Uh, it's been about maybe three weeks as I settle in and try to learn about the Chinese bureaucratic system within this university as I get things done, trying to figure out who I need to talk to. There's also interesting or strong sense of community within the students over individuality. That's very interesting, especially from the arts and creative fields, and especially from the Western view, those fields tend to be seen from a more individualistic perspective. So I think those are sort of at odds and it's still something I'm trying to wrap my head around. Um, I'm also trying to find a routine after the first two weeks of classes, trying to find time to learn Chinese and find time to explore the city eat good food, and make my own art. I am currently working on two videos that I shot in Berlin, and it seems like I'm always really slow at releasing these videos after shooting them, but hopefully I'll try to get them done by the end of the year. So fingers crossed for that. For today's episode, I get to talk and laugh with Shannon Tamara Lewis. So I first met Shannon through the Berlin Diaspora Society, a group founded by Indrani Ash. This group, which is based in Berlin, is the purpose of it is to set up studio visits with artists of color and artists working from a non-European perspective. And so every maybe, I think, once a month or every few weeks, a studio visit is set up with one of these artists and people are invited to come and talk about the art. And it attracts a lot of interesting artists that are generally not seen within the um common white spaces that inhabit most of Berlin's uh, gallery scene and art scene. And Shannon and I met there and we hit it right off. We exchanged visits, studio visits in the following weeks and months. I got to visit Shannon's studio, which was which just happens to be right in the same space as Chiara Shioto's studio space. Chiara Shioto is one of my favorite artists. She represented the 2015 Japanese Pavilion. And I had some of the most refreshing conversations with Shannon about the Berlin art scene and thinking about spaces, representation, and I was really excited to be able to record our interactions and conversations. So Shannon got her BFA from the Ontario College of Art and Design and finished up her MFA at Goldsmith in London. So Shannon's practice is about demanding a pleasure space that plays with primping and polishing, not as an assimilation to the fashion beauty complex, but a space of satisfying self-care and artistry. Her work focuses and hovers between wanting to desperately participate in the trappings of privilege, at the same time wanting to tear down the structures that provide them. So we talk about these topics, as well as the ghost of representation, the scrambling of identity, and figuring out whether or not to put specificity in one's work. Yeah, and Shannon has quite a few shows lined up this fall, so 
if you're in any of these places, try to go check them out. Shannon has a pop-up exhibition in London on September 26th, an exhibition at Project Room in Kunstquartier Petanien in Berlin on October 3rd, another exhibition at Alice Yards in Trinidad and Tobago on November 13th, a group show at the Les Urbains Festival in Lausanne, Switzerland on December 6th, and finally a pop-up exhibition at Butchcut in Berlin on January 18th, 2020. I'll try to add more information about them in the show notes and on social media as I get more information. In any case, here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. It's recording. Okay. Are these you want to you get your, your wine closer to you? <laughs> <laughs> Have it on hand. Yeah. Yeah. You ready? Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey everyone, uh, right now I'm with Shannon Lewis, and uh, Shannon and I just had some delicious Indian food, mm-hmm. although Shannon told me she hasn't had any Indian food since coming here. <laughs> Shannon's been in Berlin for what, three years? Almost four. In four. The fall, in the fall, it's four. In the fall, it's four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and so I first met Shannon, how do we meet? We met at uh, Kate's, that- Kate's Open Kate's Studio. Kate's opening. Kate Reese Open Studio, which is sort of- Berlin Diaspora Society. Yeah. So that's the whole background. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. Yeah? Yeah, I am. I'm feeling like I'm in a good space with painting, so I feel good right now, basically. What have you been working on lately? Um, I've been working on a painting. I'm in a painter's group show coming up in the fall. And it's themes around death. So I just feel like I'm in a place where I really sort of come into my visual language. Like I understand it. So I feel like I'm on the verge of something. So I'm feeling creative and excited. So (laughs) you caught me on a good day. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, why why don't you talk about how'd you, so how'd you get to Berlin? Okay. Or do you want to start with Goldsmith? Or do you want to start with (laughs) pre-Goldsmith? You you were born in Canada, right? Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. (laughs) You're born in Canada. Yeah, I'm from Toronto. My family is from Trinidad, but I was born and raised in Toronto. And I I graduated from OCAD. I was working in art, and I was painting and doing shows And then I got pregnant and then I didn't make any work or engage with the art world for like three years. And when I was ready to do that again, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. And so I was totally disconnected from the art world and my peers. I didn't know what they were up to. So I knew I needed to do something to like shake things up. And then I happened to be on vacation with my friend in London. And then I thought, hmm. I think I could live here. And then so... What was about London that gave you that vibe? I don't know. I don't know. It's really... There was no one particular thing. But I always knew I wanted to leave Toronto, but I didn't know exactly where. I think maybe I thought New York was going to happen somehow. No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm glad it did it. (laughs) Um, And then so I did something that... Uh, like if I had the information now, I never would have done, but I was, we were at a show at Stephen Friedman gallery and I was a big fan of Yinka Shonabari's work. And I said, Oh, I really want to work for Yinka. Uh, how do I do that? 
And it was he it was he, it was the gallery representing Inca? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't even his show. <laughs> oh. And I just but I knew he was represented by them. So okay. they said, Oh, we'll send us your C V and we'll send it to his studio. Is that simple? <laughs> Everyone I've told this story to is like, <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work like that actually. <laughs> I was like, What? <laughs> exactly. And then I didn't hear anything. I mean, I didn't think about it again. I think and then three or four months later, I got an email from his studio because they'd actually passed on my CV, hmm. which I didn't like. I didn't even know they do that. And I still don't actually think they do that. Yeah. I don't know how it happened. And they said, oh, well, uh, we have a project going on right now. We need someone for six months. If you're in London, then you have the job. And so I just basically moved to London for six months Wow! Uh, to work on this show. And the idea was that I would go back to Toronto. But then after that project was finished, they had more work. And they said, if you want to stay, you can stay. There's more work for you. And they offered me a job. So I ended up doing that for a while. What did you do for Yinka? Because he, he does mostly like these sculptural things. Yeah. So he also has a drawing practice. So I did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of the drawing stuff and like the gold leaf and even with the sculptural practice, he works with fabric a lot. So I did some sewing and I never sewed before. I just kind of learned on the spot. Yeah. And it was like, a, it was a really great experience because it really dropped me in like the middle of the art world. And I met a lot of people like from every sort of end, like so from the gallery end, but like to a lot of artists and because you're. I don't know what it is. Like you're a bit of a fly on the wall when you're in these space. Yeah. And when you're a studio assistant. Yeah. So yeah, I just saw a lot. Is it, was the Yinka have a big studio? No. So that's also nice too. It's not like a factory. So it was kind of intimate. There was maybe, I think six of us working there. So it was, you know, dinners and it was really nice. It was super chilled. Yeah. And so I, I mean, it was just an amazing opportunity basically. And he's cool. <laughs> yeah. And he's cool. And I learned a lot from him. What did you learn? Hmm. I mean, like how to how to think about my work or that translation of what you mean to the work mm. and taking ownership of that maybe a bit, negotiating the art world in some ways. Like he's kind of like a trickster figure and I kind of really kind of in what dig way? that. Uh, like he plays with words and ideas and mm. kind of like playful and sinister sort of ways and I think you can get away with a lot more in that mm. way so I kind of learned that from him and how maybe how not to let the art world sort of eat you in a way too I yeah. think he's quite good at that so. yeah <laughs> it's hard <laughs> yeah it's hard work I already said this earlier but in another podcast but I just was at Basel mm. did I tell you this already no I was at Basel and someone who I knew who I was hanging out with while we were going through the fair, he said something was cynical and true, but it was like, he was like, when you're at these fairs, the reason that you started to do art or that anyone started to art doesn't exist at these fairs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like everyone standing there is like a different, completely different mindset from like whatever reason you want to do art. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe if you're not aware of that, when you walk into the art fair, it can really like disorient yeah. you. Yeah. Or totally horrify you, but yeah. like <laughs> if you, yeah. So I think I had the luck of like someone sort of like guiding me through mm. this, so I wasn't completely shocked when I entered it. Basically, 
And then from there, I always knew I wanted to do my MA. And then I realized I was in London and the schools that, both the schools that I really wanted to go to happened to be in London. So it was the Central St. Martin's and Goldsmiths. Mm -hmm. And I applied to Goldsmiths and I got in and yeah, that was intense at the time. Like really, I would describe Goldsmiths as kind of like emotional and intellectual boot camp. Like (laughs) (laughs) at the time you're kind of like, "Hmm, why am I doing this exactly? But at the end, I think it's, it really felt worth it. Like it really makes you think through your practice and you have to really defend the things you're doing because I don't want to say it was combative, but like the critiques are like quite intense. Like the critique culture in Goldsmiths is quite intense. How often did you meet? Uh, Once a week, was it once or twice a week for like regular seminar, but then you were always doing tutorials, Mm -hmm. like one-on-ones and yeah, it was it was it was super intense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah grad schools. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think like you said, like it teaches you how to be critical because that criticality ceases to exist once you leave. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and then I think what it also taught me was to trust my instincts as well too, because you're going to hear a lot of things that are going to move you in different directions, Mm -hmm. but maybe you have an idea and if you can defend it to yourself, then you can be strong in that idea. So. Or you realize everyone's just bullshitting. Yeah. 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 There's also. Because like, well, (laughs) yeah, I'm sure this happens to you where like your advisor professor says one thing and then the next day they say the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or like two different teachers who both respect say complete opposite things. Absolutely. "Uh," And no one knows what they're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Or I even had a, a tutorial with a tutor and then I went to his show and then I had another tutorial with him and I said, oh, now I know why you said all those things to me mm-hmm. about my work. Yeah. And some, in some ways they're talking about themselves. Yeah, so yeah, 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 it's really. Or what they want you to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So you, yeah, you learn to read all of these things. I think that's what's important, like reading the yeah. situation, reading the context. Yeah. So it was good for that reason. Um, okay, so then I was in London and I stayed there for a little bit longer, but then London was getting expensive. and It always was expensive. Right? It was always expensive, but it was getting more expensive. Yeah. And none of the visas that I had counted towards my leave to remain, mm. which means I could stay eventually. And uh, so I thought, why am I investing all this time and they could just ask me to leave like at any kind of second. Yeah. And then I had a friend who was moving to Berlin and he said, why are you staying in London? Like, <laughs> oh, he said, Berlin, there's a lot of artists. You can make stuff here. And I'm moving to Berlin, so you should move to Berlin. Yeah. And we just went for Berlin, uh, went to the Berlin for the weekend. And uh-huh. I met a whole bunch of artists yeah. and like theater people and dancers. And they were all like, oh, just come to Berlin. And they had artist visas, which is, I mean, a big deal. Because an artist visa in the UK is a very difficult thing to get. And yeah. in Berlin, it's not. So yeah. For people who don't know, Berlin has this really unique visa that is actually only in Berlin. You can't get it anywhere in any other city or place in Germany. And it specifically allows you to stay if you do art and it's relatively easy to get. Right. As long as you actually do make art. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you make art or you do all the steps required. (laughs) Because you can kind of fake that. Yeah, you could. You could. Like, I know people who've, like... Who faked it. Yeah, who faked it, right? Mm. If they just want... I mean, you can't make money. You can't, like... So this artist visa doesn't allow you to, like, work jobs, but allows you to just... 
stay here as long as you have some other income right to yeah. uh stay and if if that is going to help your art then a lot of artists do that yeah and you can in like i mean for it for a long time berlin was cheap enough that you didn't need to make that much money yeah to stay here yeah it could be i mean it's a thing where you could sell a painting and then you're good for six months yeah. you know like that's quite unique. yeah you don't have to be like a famous artist <laughs> yeah this is the difference yeah and then so for that, I feel like Berlin is like a nice place to make things and think through work and not have economic pressures. And I think that makes more interesting work because you're not making work in like kind of a frantic way, basically. So it's a good place to experiment. You don't have like market pressures. Not everything has to be good. There really isn't a market here. <laughs> yeah, since there's no market, there's zero market pressure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's the long story of how I got to Berlin. So why don't you talk about like, yeah, so you said, so I'm just curious. So you said you didn't know where to start or get back into art. Then you went to be a studio assistant for Inca and then you went to Goldsmith. What how what was your work like during the entire process? Right. Um, so my work was always painting and it was always black women. And I think, I feel in Toronto, it was a bit like, sorting out identity because I have an immigration background, so I'm not Canadian and I'm not Caribbean. So it was kind of figuring, it was that kind of like immigrant second generation yeah, sort of story. In between space. Yeah, in between spaces. And then I moved to London and then it really made me see how I was speaking from a very specific class position because London is such a classist sort of place. And like more so than Toronto? Yeah. I mean, class exists, like classism exists, but it's a little bit more hidden. Hmm. So uh, it just helped me see it from where I came from. Hmm. And so I was thinking about that language a bit as well, too, when I was making work in London. And so how was that received differently in London then? Um, so in London, it felt a bit so... I think there was more of a, a language for what I was talking about because there's like this school of black British artists making work from this position from quite a long time. So mm -hmm. people kind of got that, but I'm not English and I'm not American. So they were a bit confused about how to like read me mm. and the things I was saying. A you bit. didn't fit nicely in their box. No, not at all. Not at all. And it made me think that that's actually... It started, I started to see the power actually in that situation more than anything else, instead of being concerned about neatly boxing identity and neatly sort of expressing it and thinking about it. It's these in-between spaces that I thought were actually quite interesting. Like mm. they were these moments of like flight and freedom and like sort of playing with how you're read and not read and yeah, just thinking about those things. So I think that's how my work kind of it started to become about that, about power, but these in-between spaces of pleasure and desire and how you can play with these things, mm -hmm. how you have the ability to shape the way people see you. Yeah. And so, and then so the work itself? Yeah. So then the work itself, I think, was still about like power and desire and like how it's constructed, but then it really started to investigate like these unconscious archives. Like we have archives of how we read people and we're not so aware of them because they happen sort of since birth. And it's sort of, the work tries to like play with that and sort of play with things that you think you know, but maybe you don't know. 
and using like juxtaposition to kind of make you question mm-hmm. why you think the things you do. Yeah. It's about breaking, yeah, breaking down like a, yeah, kind of like investigating how you come up with these things or like a brainwashing or a rebrainwashing or something like that or a scrambling. Or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when I went to your studio and saw your work, you did like, you pulled a lot from like ads yeah, and, and reusing yeah. those symbo- symbols and symbologies. Yeah. So I sort of use a lot of stuff from fashion and advertising because, I mean, we're so well-versed in that. Like that's the language that we know because we're so inundated with it. So I try to use language that we think we know, that we can, we think we can read quickly, which mm-hmm. is what advertising is all about. And I just try to scramble them. Um, and then I think also moving to Berlin and has also made me see the – to think about like the ability for me to move around the world and migration um, and what that sort of does. So the work is about like flight and moving between spaces in terms of identity and ideas and sexuality and gender and all of that. But it's also even like geographic and it's also about the power of your passport. Too. Yeah. Like, right. Like is, who, who gets, who to gets to do this? Move around. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about, borders but like how we can permeate borders it's about porousness of the yeah of borders yeah and and how has do you think your work has changed since coming to berlin because the thing that i notice is the dialogue that you're talking about about being an immigrant and specifically black bodies or people of color that language doesn't really exist Mm in most spaces in Berlin. Yeah. I mean, I don't think my work has changed in so much as I don't deal with the ideas of race in my work, but I no longer would necessarily write that into uh, my artist statement here Mm. because I know people don't know what I'm talking about. Mm. And I don't feel like I'm going to give you like 400 years of history in my bio. (laughs) So if you don't know, you don't know. (laughs) You just have to... Read the internet, bitch. (laughs) There's Google. So so you just deal with that. And so I don't try to have complex race conversations here. Mm. In a way that like, I mean, that you can have in London or you can have in Toronto. But there are still even limits to that too. Because I mean... Even like, in America, too. Yeah, it's like, yeah. There's only so much I feel like I can talk yeah. to a white person about yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it's implicit in the work. If you know about it and you want to talk about it, I'll have a conversation about it. It's not hidden, mm-hmm. but I'm not trying to make my work a history lesson. I'm not interested in that at all. Um, so do you then – What? yeah, so then what do you want – I guess I'm curious, what do you want uh, – white German to get from your painting then? Right. I mean, I think they understand that it's about flight and bodies being able to permeate certain spaces Mm -hmm. and boundaries. I think they get it's about access. I think they get it's about social climbing and like capitalism. I think they get that very easily. Like they understand that. I think in some ways that a lot of North Americans don't understand, like really? having this history mm. of like East and West. And then, you know, this idea that like, oh, if you had access to Coke and McDonald's, it would materially change your life. And then it didn't, you know, so this moment. They, th- they think that here. I mean, here there was this sort of like 
thing that like, oh, the only thing that's preventing you from having a good life is like access to capital Uh, and capitalism mm. and consumerism. Mm -hmm. And if you have access to these things, then your life will be better. And then that didn't happen materially for a lot of people. So this disillusionment with this exists on a larger scale than I think North America. I think in a way, most people still don't interrogate that in North America. Like it is still about how can you amass the most capital and the most things. Yeah. This is like, it's the American dream. It still is. Is the American dream in Canada as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Canada is very similar to America in a lot of ways, but also, and moving away from um, of it from it has made me realize too, like it's still a colony. So it still like looks to England, it still looks to Britain, it still behaves like a colony in a way. Like it still exports a lot of its ideas, and it has like a little bit of a like a complex about things. Inferiority complex. Yeah, it really kind of does. Like for a major city, like how much writing is done based on like what other people think of you. Yeah. (laughs) It's really kind of absurd. Like how you're viewed in the world is really just like a whole topic in itself. Yeah. In Toronto in a way that I think doesn't exist in other major cities. Like, so what is its care? What is your real character then? If it's always just you comparing yourself to your like, older siblings you know yeah you, you haven't sorted but that's it for out most most smaller cities um but toronto's not a small city that's, that's what i'm trying to say or sorry not a major because yeah. well, i'm thinking of like you know philadelphia mm. pittsburgh boston right like these they're major cities with and like they they seem to have the inferiority complex that takes hold and manifests into like sports teams right because right? Right, that's the only right. way that they can yeah, gain yeah. A superiority over another right yeah. city, right? Like yeah. we, our city, beat your city, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. that's the entirety of sports worldwide, like yeah. the Olympics, yeah, like football, like football. This entire existence is based on that. It's true. It's true. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, can you imagine how satisfying it is every time a country beats like the UK or France <laughs> or US? I mean, and and I, and I always say like I think the US secretly doesn't care about football because if they did they would give all the other countries the satisfaction of being beaten yeah yeah but i think the u.s secret most americans secretly don't want to care about it because then it's like well we lost well who cares yeah exactly it's not important yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep like playing our baseball game and call it the world series yeah, exactly. with just americans <laughs> but yeah you feel the the power to be able to do that when you feel like the cultural center of something, right? Yeah. You don't have to look outwards. You can just sort of think about yourself. Yeah. And then, yeah, so that's where I am right now. And I mean, I think her name is Rennie Edo Lodge who wrote something quite recently called, you know, like why I'm no longer oh, yeah. talking to white people. I've been listening to her podcast. She has mm. like a 10 part podcast mm. series um, that I've been slowly listening to. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't have that epiphany when I read the book, but it's more that that just sort of summed up how I feel about it. And it just sort of keeps you in a in a reactionary teacher mode and it doesn't give you room to discover who you are and to be creative and make stuff if you're constantly doing this. So I think that's one of the traps. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not interested. In yeah, you're not interested yeah. in being a teacher yeah. or yeah. being – yeah. 
explaining things all the time. Yeah. Or, I mean, unless you meet someone like yourself who, like, sorry, already sort of understands, like, a certain level of something. try. Yeah, then, then we can... We're all trying. We're <laughs> yeah, all str- we're all trying. We're all struggling we're all- <laughs> with this really hard. No, but then you can struggle together yeah, on a yeah. similar level and expand the conversation. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. And also there's a thing, I think, recently that I realized or I'm starting to read, like, sometimes to... You don't want to only come together with people around like trauma, which is like almost like a re-traumatization. Yeah. Thing. So you also want to like come together around like solutions or and like joy and celebration, and then these things can happen. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's where I am too in my work. I went to a talk with um, is it Lila? I don't want to say her name last name wrong. Weintraub who did the shakedown, this film, this artist. And I went to a talk in Berlin and she said, you know, her work is about like, like women need to demand a pleasure space. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me, like, especially like as like a black woman to be able to say that, you know, because usually the conversation is around like domesticity and like, trying to be reactionary to these sort of images of like asexuality or hypersexualization and you know yeah that's all true but then like well what about the pleasure mm. and i want to demand a space for pleasure and mm. for like desire and my desires and i want to figure that out and so i think that's what the work has really become about and like i mean i feel like maybe it was always about that but maybe until she said that i didn't have mm. like I didn't feel I had the power to like say that. Yeah. I know I could say that. Yeah. Yeah. But you said the most recent work is about death. Well, this <laughs> show is about death. Oh, and oh, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, and okay. it's so, uh, and so for me, like it's your own sort of interpretation of that. And I, I, for me, death is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. And like, even like culturally speaking, like death is like sort of, always there and there are portholes between like living and non-living that exist yeah. all the time and it's not it's not something to fear i don't yeah you know. until the rise of certain religions yeah 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 i think the romans just saw it as another part of life yeah absolutely absolutely so i just i think that's always there in my work anyway so i don't so that's what i'm gonna bring to it i'm not like i'm not scared of it <laughs> we tell herself that <laughs> Until late at night when you're sleeping alone and you have some random thoughts. Yeah, like, oh, exactly. Shit. Like, oh no, is this really it? Um, yeah. And so do you think you're going to stay in Berlin long term or? I'm going to stay in Berlin for a few more years. And then I think I will move on to maybe the Caribbean or South America or Portugal I just think for me, it's not realistic or interesting to stay anywhere like for the rest of my life. Like, mm. That's not the way I think about life anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I want to put down roots here and have community. I'm not like totally transient, but, you know, I want to have new experiences yeah. as well. And so, yeah. So have you, so have you been back to Trinidad since a bunch or did you visit a lot? I only started visiting Trinidad by myself 
when I was 20. My parents never went when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. So it They was, didn't want to. Yeah. They, I guess they were just like busy or I don't know. They didn't think about it that way. Like they were just thinking of life, I guess, in a like linear way. Like, okay, we're here now. Let's focus on here a bit. Yeah. Like let's freak. We, we, we fled. <laughs> So let's not think about the past. Right, yeah. yeah. Unless it's like in like a colorful, like reminiscing. So it was always like back home. Like that was Trinidad. Trinidad was back home. So they they didn't think of Canada's home. No. Okay. And that's an interesting thing. I think they still say back home. But they like, don't visit it. They don't visit. I mean, oh. my dad does now, but my mom doesn't. But mm. they still just refer to Trinidad as back home, even mm. though both of them have lived in Canada longer than they've lived in Trinidad. Why Canada? Is there a huge Trinidadian uh, population there? Uh, yeah, there's a big Caribbean population okay. there. So I think a lot of people from the Caribbean either went to England or they went to New York or they went to Toronto, really. Mm. And I think a bit Miami. But those are the major hubs for Caribbean migration in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Mm. So back home. So Trinidad was like a place of like mythology, basically. Like, And what was the first time you visited it? I was 20. 20, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I went by myself uh, to visit family. And it was instantly like totally familiar. And this really weirded me out because it felt like deja vu or like a memory. And so I think this is also a theme in my work. It's about like ghosts and a haunting hmm. like and but haunting of geography as well too and i think of i was reading sir uh avery gordon the other day and she was sort of referring to like ghosts as like something that breaks the timeline like the temp like a temporal situation like something that breaks the connection between exactly the past the future and the present like when things, yeah huh. and it's like a scrambling of i time. like that yeah yeah and that really resonated with me because i always sort of referred to being like trinidad as like a haunting of geography and i didn't know why exactly until i read that and it's exactly that and hmm. so then it became a real place to me when i went and some things were familiar but then Going to Trinidad made me feel like, oh, I'm definitely not Trinidadian in a way. Like, it, you know, they saw this, you as Canadian. You, oh, for sure. Yeah. And myself, I realized like how Canadian <laughs> I was. Like, me coming to Berlin made me realize how American I yeah, am. Yeah, yeah. Like, goddamn. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, I thought it was different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it definitely did that for me. And I, but I've been back lots of times, and. This year, I went to Alice Yard um, residency, and I did a show there. How was that? That was incredible, and I didn't know what to expect. I've never done a residency, and I've never done anything creative in Trinidad. And it was always just visiting. Yeah, it was always just family. And like speaking of geography, like I had a completely different experience, like down to the geography. Like I literally didn't walk the same streets that I walked when I was with my family. Mm. So it was like negotiating Trinidad in a totally different way and different way of seeing Trinidad as well too. And I met so many interesting people and so many creatives and like had so many beautiful moments and just so much like potentiality basically. So it was just, yeah, it just feels so exciting basically. And what was the work that you made there? So I just went back for a week and I presented work uh, called Get Me Bodied, the fabric series that I work on. And it's a uh, like a digital print on silk chiffon installation. 
And for the first time, I installed it indoors and outdoors, and it was at night, and it was just a totally different thing. What was it on the fabric? You painted on them? Uh, so I take photographs of myself, and I manipulate them, and I cut up images from magazines, and I create these women who are interacting with each other and playing with each other and talking to each other. And... Um, and then they're layered and it works with transparency. So it's always like a shifting narrative and a shifting image. And it changes depending on who's in the show because you create your own silhouettes as well too. So it's like an installation. Join. Yeah. So it's an installation. And it was just like really, uh, it was just a different thing being in that space and the wind as a factor as well too. Like it really brought home like this idea of haunting as well too. I feel like in that sense, we were talking about this earlier about eating Indian food, mm. how when you had your studio crit with Laura Provo, yeah, how it makes sense for her to then suggest that you should then be naked and doing something there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so it's just, it was a different way of like totally seeing the work basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interacting with well, these One well, also ties back to the idea of ghosts, right? Yeah. Because you as a body yeah. are sort of once you're in Trinidad, you're like in this weird past, present, future space. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Actually, maybe then, yeah, I become the ghost, actually. Yeah, th yeah that's what yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, it's true. That's really true. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's your next piece of video, yeah, like <laughs> a video performance of you in that. Yeah, of me in the space. And I've always been really reluctant to put myself in the work. You never paint yourself? Hardly ever. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. You never did self-portraits? I I mean, I did self-portraits, I think, when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but some there's something about... I guess I felt like already it's hard to like make your work. I feel like as a black woman, people don't find it very universal. And like... And you always have to fight for this idea of like, this is a universal story, actually. And you always have to like push that and work at that. And maybe I thought maybe if I'm painting myself, like it's harder to make that statement. And not that that's actually true, but I didn't feel like I had the power to fight that battle. Like another black thing. body is easier to be because it's not yours. So it's not specifically yeah. me. So it could be about other things. Um, but I think this is always a fight like any artists of color is like always fighting like yeah. to say that your story is a universal story. There are universal implications and it's not a specific cultural proposition. Uh, so I think that's something I've always been I see. leery of. I'm just pulling something up. You can mm. keep talking if you want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like I had this experience in, uh, in undergrad in OCAV where I had, uh, I didn't remember the situation but I had another student come up to me, a friend who is biracial, but white passing. And then he said to me, oh, you know, that crit you had the other day where that teacher was saying, like, why don't you tell this story about blackness? And and he said, I felt so uncomfortable listening to that. And that's why I never talk about that in my work or mm. even tell anyone that I'm actually black. I, I, I don't want this thing imposed yeah. on me like other people's idea of it. And the thing that struck me the most was that I didn't even remember the crit that he was talking about because 
it's just something that had happened so much. Yeah. It didn't become like a specific like. It wasn't special. Anymore. Yeah, it wasn't special just for like, me. Just constant, constant racism all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's this thing where like even when you're making work, like you're always still like having this internal fight. And so for me, the get me bodied is also like a powerful thing for me because it's me photographing myself. Yeah. And it's, and for the first time I can own that and say, well, I'm I'm using my body. I'm talking about me, but me can also be a universal me. So it hasn't bled over to the painting yet, but it's there for me in the fabric work. Yeah. And how was your work received in Trinidad? I was really nervous about that because I thought they wouldn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we were talking about this is like the – we like you and I exist in this sort of like you Canadian Trinidadian. Mm-hmm. I'm like Chinese American, but like the Chinese and the people in Trinidad, they don't care. Yeah, like that our, we're in between. Yeah, any more than Canadians or Americans care. Right, exactly. Like they're like, mm, well, that's kind of that's your deal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I thought it's like boring. <laughs> and then I thought, do I have even the right to speak about Trinidad? Like when I'm in these other yeah. spaces, I feel like I can talk about Caribbeanness, and I'm. Oh, so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm in Trinidad and I feel like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm not the expert here. <laughs> so I'm just yeah. like a little bit waiting to be corrected somehow. And then I went and I showed it and the reception was so incredible. Yeah. Like I feel like people got the work so quickly and in a way that I think people didn't even get it that fast in London or really? in Toronto. Yeah, like they just like, boom, this is that, this is that. And it was, yeah, it was just sort of shocking to me. And so it made That's me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they read the symbols, I think, maybe faster even than I think people in these other spaces did. Were the symbols different than the normal ones you've used? No, so this was old work that oh, I made okay. before, yeah. So it made me think like, well, maybe some things are transmitted in a way that yeah. I can't see. Like maybe I'm speaking in a language that I didn't even know was specific to geography. Yeah. Because a lot of like my favorite or like artists, not favorite, but artists I'm super excited about now, you know, like Ferelli Baez or like Joy Arminia, like they're like Caribbean artists, but yeah. like North American Caribbean artists. So maybe there's kind of like a language or... A post-colonial visual language. Or an aesthetic. Yeah, or an aesthetic, something yeah. that I don't quite see. Like, I can't tell because maybe yeah. I'm in the middle of it. But, yeah, maybe that exists. So I fear, like, my work doesn't wouldn't be understand in China. No, you don't think so? I don't think so. <laughs> I'll let you know. Yeah, please yeah. do. I'm really but I'm really. I don't interested. think so. No? That's my guess. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder, like, maybe it also depends on like spaces because also Trinidad is quite small, but like migration stories to North America and England also become part of the story in Trinidad in a way. So they, even if it's not their specific experience, they can read it sort of right away because people are going back and forth. Right. And and it's, geographically closer yeah yeah linguistically closer you should both at least speaking the same language yeah exactly exactly yeah i don't know yeah i'm very i'm very interested i'm very (laughs) curious but then also maybe it opens up 
something for you. Like maybe it'll be red. Like they will see something that you don't see. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really have no, absolutely no idea. I just know it doesn't work in Berlin. <laughs> really? Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like, I think they like, so I like, I made this recent piece with Nixon mm. and I showed it and people liked it, but it's quite abstract. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think yeah. like the more things that are less abstract or where the ideas really get really specific. Mm-hmm. And I think those ones, people just are like, eh, it's okay. It's interesting, but mm. I don't, I think the context isn't right here. Right. Right. I mean, we've talked about this, but I think like your work, even if you don't get the specifics, I think your work does like a, su- a successful scrambling of like people's ideas. So I think, for me, sometimes people leaving your work a bit confused. Hopefully. It's good still for yeah. me. Like it's still that's kind of what I want. I guess the question I haven't figured out if Germans are confused or they don't care. <laughs> right? It's hard to tell Germans I can't I can never read a German. Yeah, this is true. This is very true. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> they need to be very clear with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's hard to say, yeah. Oh yeah, and then going back, the I used to want to make things universal, but then I read something, and then I wrote it down, and then this is like um, mm. this is part of my artist statement. And I'm not trying to like I'm not saying this to listeners. I'm not trying to brag about my artist statements, <laughs> but uh, this sort of helped me work through this idea of what kind of story to tell. And then what I realized was that what I say is like narratives about specific experiences can be universal because it questions what it means to be human. Yeah. And the more specific you are, the more human you are, and therefore the more universal it ends up becoming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so that's my excuse for, like, allowing myself to talk about myself. Mm, mm. Because the the more universal you try to make it, actually, the less personal it gets and the less specific it gets and in a sense it actually gets less universal right you think about like jeff coons like yeah. that is probably the epitome of universal arts <laughs> but it has absolutely nothing in it yeah i mean yeah because if things yeah when you move out from specific human experiences and you don't feel like the connection to it because it doesn't feel like a human situation like yeah. A human condition. yeah like what are you supposed to do like a balloon dog jeez <laughs> There's like no experience in that at all. <laughs> but I also find it like, I think it's so interesting that like as uh, artists of color, like we're, we have to like convince ourselves like, no, but I can, I'm allowed to talk about like my specifics. Yeah. You know, we have to train ourselves yeah. to do that. And then, but like none of the guys I went to Goldsmith with, like sitting there and going on about H.P. Lovecraft, like thought for a second, <laughs> like, like whether they were alienating anyone oh do you do you guys get this like if i talk about this in specific like no like not for a second they were like i haven't read an hp love exactly (laughs) my point but like spoke about it like as if as if if yeah yeah, if it was just like the bible and like of course you've heard all these stories and this is what i'm talking about and that you know and it works yeah and it (laughs) works (laughs) (laughs) so uh, yeah, I'm learning to be like less apologetic. Like, yeah. It's good. Like I love this 
thing that you I like your artist name and I think it's really good. You can take it. Yeah. <laughs> and you reuse it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think it's good because you, yeah, you need to re like reaffirm these things to yourself because you're so taught that like, no, no one's interested in your details at all, you know? So it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it also, it could also be the time, right? Because we look at like, it might shift back, but like if you look at the trends of like comedians, right, it's mm. gone more specific, mm, right? Mm. It started out in a few decades ago, just like one-liner jokes, and then as yeah. as it got more, the world got more global, and I guess maybe the internet happened, and trend, and information gets transmitted. Being more specific also allows you to find your own voice and yeah. make a niche for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And as I mean- opposed to just making another flower painting. <laughs> And then I guess, I mean, that's where I think a lot of, like, my new work comes from, too. Like, finding these, like, niches, some things you think are, like, so specific and no one would get. And then all of a sudden you're connected online and someone, like, has this exact experience and you can connect. And, like, that's quite powerful as well, too, right now. And it's, like, um, it makes me think about, like, passing on information and then I know this is like also quite specific, but I don't care. <laughs> like this. You're allowed to. You, you you have the permission to be specific. Um, this series of work that I'm doing uh, called "Some She Recognized," and it's these tiny paintings, and it's of hair and skin and black women. But like thinking how much information is being passed in these online communities about like how to groom, and just thinking about how cut off we have been that specific community from each other. And I watch all these like 20 year old girls on the internet, like teach me about my hair and how really? to contour. And I'm like yeah. taking notes. I'm like, Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and, and my mom would come in sometimes and she would be like, Oh, I didn't know this, you know, but, and my mom was like, you know, telling me, she's like, we never learned how to take care of our hair. Like uh-huh. as a black woman, she's like, our hair was a problem. Like you just learned to put it away, you yeah, know, like or that straighten was the culture, or straighten yeah. it. So my mom doesn't even know these things, you know? So it's this idea. It's exciting. Like this passing on of knowledge. And it's not just like, you know, elders to youth, like it's back up. Like now, they have more information than we did. So yeah. It's, yeah, it's exciting. And so how's that with the work that you're working? So I'm doing these tiny paintings and they're almost like votives. You can hold them and it's like a close up on like skin and hair. And I did a pop-up show at Butch Cut last year and I'm going to do another one at the end of September this year. And it's a series Focusing on grooming, basically, because Butch Cut is like a community space and a queer community space. And it's about, yeah, passing on stories in a space where you can meet. And I mean, Hank sort of when Hank created the space, they sort of said, you know, uh, when you groom, it means you have worth. It's a barbershop, right? Yeah, Yeah. it is as well, too. But it's also like a social space. Yeah. And when you groom, you're saying my body has worth. Like Mm. when you take the time to do that. And a lot of communities don't necessarily historically have like have not felt that way yeah so it is important so yeah so that's where that series is sort of going and talking about those things yeah and you have anything else coming up in the future um so i'm going back to alice yard in november okay yeah for three weeks okay i want to go yeah please come yeah (laughs) we both know that one of the organizers nicholas (laughs) which is really interesting i met nicholas when i first arrived in berlin Mm. But I looked at flights; they're a bit expensive from yeah, here. Yeah, it's a bit difficult. But 
Yeah, and then so what are you going to do in Alice Yards this time? So uh, I was collecting images the last time I was there, and I'm doing an installation, and it's site-specific work for mm. Alice Yard, basically. So I was there for a carnival, and that was also... How was that? That was incredible. I've never been to a carnival. Like, mm-hmm. a, like of yeah. the carnival, yeah, not like... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been to carnival in Rio, and yeah. that was quite cool. I haven't been to Brazil. Yeah. Hmm. That's nice. <laughs> I actually, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever been south of the equator. Ah. I don't think I have. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't. Okay. Is Hong Kong south of the equator? That's what I don't know. That's what I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to like, I was like, oh, that, I don't know. That might, be, that might be the southernest part. Of, yeah, but I've never been to like, ah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's a different global south is a different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um Yeah, so I've been to Carnival before and everyone always said, Oh, you've never been to Carnival in Trinidad, you're from Trinidad. And I didn't think it was important because I thought, <laughs> I've been to Caravana, I get it. <laughs> you've been to Rio, like I've been to Rio, I get like, it. <laughs> who, who cares about Trinidad when you go to Rio? <laughs> but actually I have to say it was totally it was it was magical. Yeah. Like really, like I didn't get it until I was there. And just like the energy of like the whole island like coming together around this thing and meeting people who understood and knew the history of it and how all these sort of things came to be. And and also when I was there, I met this woman named Akita Thomas who was doing an independent mass camp and she saw- Mass camp? Yeah. So they have these masquerade camps. Oh, mass camp. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And- um, she was, uh, her mass camp was around the idea of baby doll mass. And historically it's speaking, creepy. yeah, it is. <laughs> so many of like, like carnival backstories like are creepy. I don't like baby doll faces. <laughs> it's like, or ventriloquist. That was like my worst, no, those, my yeah. worst. Ventriloquist was a line for me. Like, I can't even look at that. <laughs> <laughs> baby doll, I'm okay. A little better. It's a little better. Okay. Yes, a little okay. better. Because <laughs> their mouths don't move. Like, ugh. but uh she so historically speaking the french planter women would dress up like black newly freed slaves or maybe this was i'm not quite sure which was the the women yeah the french plant the white french planters would sort of dress up as for carnival yeah for carnival as like the black population and they would have all these babies so they'd be black-faced I don't know if it was black. I don't. I don't know exactly okay. if it was blackface, but like the idea was to yeah. dress up as them, yeah. and then you would have all these babies. And the idea was like all these fatherless babies, and you would go and you would accuse people in the audience of like being the father what? of the baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then who people, are they? Who are they accusing? Other the white men or black men? It could be anyone. Anyone just in the audience. Jesus and, you, and there's Christ. a lot of characters in like there's a lot of traditional characters in mass. And you have to like pay them to go away is the idea. So there was there are a few characters like that. And so what happened was then the black population then took this character and then sort of flipped it on its head because I mean just by your face right yeah. now you understand the <laughs> yeah. absurdity of yeah. this sort of situation. Yeah. And they would say and then they would dress up with this character and then say to like 
the white population, like, no, you take care of your children. Like you created these conditions and you're not doing anything about it actually. So it was like the power to like accuse in this one moment as well too. So this, this baby doll character became like a symbol of like a woman who in this space was allowed to speak and say, I accuse you. I have the power, I have the power to say something to you. Whereas I normally do not. It was like better than any social practice art. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Really. And um, so Makita took this character and then, so she turned her into kind of this totally unapologetic woman. You know, they were kind of like, you know, they weren't being like, they were wearing the clothing of that era that's kind of cutesy, but then the attitude was really like fierce and in your face and yeah. they paraded through the streets. And then she said, you know, I think that this is what your fabric work is about too. And mm. it's it's all around the idea of like, well, what type of woman do we make space for mm. when we talk about hearing women's voices? Who are, Who's allowed to speak? Who do we hear? And so she said, I really feel like this fits with what I'm doing. Can we do a collaboration? And then she took some of the fabrics and then used them in her uh, mass camp. So they were parading with them, dressed in character. And I played with them the first day of mass. And then it was really powerful, like watching them walk through the streets and on the stage and asking these questions about like, what type of women do we make space for? Mm. Just like on a national level, like it really made me I don't know. Like, just almost like it gave me goosebumps. Like, exactly what you said. Like, no amount of like, yeah, social practice art like ever did it for me like this. Yeah. Like, this was just this was it. You yeah. know, it wasn't about like a commodification of an idea or like hashtags. It was just like this is it, and it was so beautiful. And like, these were the kind of organic moments that I think were happening in Trinidad. And I feel like I've only scratched like the surface of like the history of this place and like what it means and what it means for what I'm saying as well too. So it's just like, yeah, for me, I'm very excited basically that I went and had this opportunity. So, and also I did Juve, which is how you open mass. So it's this thing where you, you start in the, I think it's like 4am and then you parade and you dance in the streets all night long and you throw paint and powder and pigment and it was just like it's almost like you're opening up the space for like the spirits to take you over for like the week of mass basically because actually it's really it's three days of parading like i think it's like maybe over 100 kilometers you you get the rest you can but you don't there's like there's like a weekend in berlin And Berkheim. <laughs> yeah, except, I mean, like, you're also moving 30 kilometers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's you're, not, also, you're not in a black dungeon. Yeah, exactly. German, yeah, German style. It's not like 30 degrees <laughs> yeah. in the hot sun. With like a bunch of uh, stinky, <laughs> naked white bodies. Yeah, it's, a different, it's a different way of commuting with yeah. the spirits. <laughs> And it was, yeah, it was really this idea that, like, all of a sudden, the things and the ideas that you intellectually felt were, like, physically moving through your body. Mm. And, like, for me, that was so powerful. So, yeah, I just, I'm just at the beginning of my journey, like, my education, basically. And so I'm going back. I have some images, and I'm still sort of thinking about how to install the work and maybe do some more collaborations, like working with Makita in the future. We sort of talked about that a little bit. So maybe there'll be a performance in the space as well too. And also, I mean, 
it's also like a hub for the Caribbean and other artists too. So I learned about a lot of other artists that I didn't know about yeah. who are working in Jamaica and all these other places and whose work and research like I find incredibly interesting. So That just aren't in galleries. Yeah, they're not in or galleries. The, or at least the major galleries. The major galleries yeah. or people aren't talking about them. Yeah. And so, and this is what I mean about, I just feel like there's sometimes there's so much noise and like, global north that like you don't hear what's going on in these other spaces so it was yeah it was incredible so i'm very excited cool mm. anything else you want to say mm. anything we missed i don't think so where can people find you um i have a website it needs to be updated <laughs> oh it's so bad <laughs> it's so <laughs> It hasn't been updated in a year, <laughs> but I will update it very soon. And I'm going to put up all my images from yeah. Alice Yard, actually. It's shannontamaralewis.com, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-T-A-M-A-R-A-L-E-W-I-S. And then I'm also on Instagram, and that's more up to date. And I'm Lola's, L-O-L-A-S underscore Venus. Oh, I love this Venus. I don't remember. You don't remember? My friend asked me this today. I'm like, I can't. And she was like, oh, like it, it's so deep. Like you lost it, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I remember at the time. Like a, that should be like a title of your show. It's so deep I lost yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good title. But maybe that's maybe Karina wants to take it because she coined it. I don't know. Uh, Karina doesn't oh, Karina want Griffin? it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me. And also, I mean, Golden Brown Girls, that's also something. Oh, yeah, you want to talk, yeah, talk yeah. about that? So I started this uh, kind of loose collective with Indrani Ash, who's also an artist that I met in London. And we have a web series and an art project called Golden Brown Girls, after Golden Girls, because the idea is... How do you imagine yourself as a creative woman in the future? And this can kind of be a hard thing to do, especially in London. We were thinking, how can this kind of work? Like, does it even make sense that I could even be here long term? And then also... Um, financially? Financially, and also like the structures aren't really made yeah. for you. And I mean, uh, we worked with this other artist called Sonia Barrett, and she was like, I have no role models for what I want to do. She's like, all the women in my life 30 years from now are not living the life mm. that I want. They're not artists. So, like, I have no one to kind of look to to say what my life could be like. So the idea was that, you know, you can kind of make this for yourself. Like, let's imagine the future together. Like, what could happen if we all sort of, were each other's social structure. And that's kind of what the Golden Girls, the show is about. Like now that you think about it, like it was, you know, it was a funny show in the eighties, but actually it was kind of revolutionary in that like who th is listening to what like post menopausal, like grandmother age yeah, women. Yeah, no one wants to, yeah. want, like no one in Hollywood wants to talk about that. No, no. Like what are their lives like? Like they're all financially insecure and they need health care, and like who's going to take care of them if you don't have children? Like, yeah. So what happens to you, you know? <laughs> So these are the questions. So the idea is, well, what if we were our own community? So we made a web series and we collaborate with new artists every time or sometimes multiple times. And the new artist sort of dictates, 
okay, well, what's your future like? And we all play ourselves in the future. And we've collaborated with other artists, but also writers and actors, actresses. And um, yeah, everyone just gets to sort of think about, think through what they want. Is it ultimately filmed? Yeah, and then we film it. It's a web series, so we film it, but also we play these films in gallery spaces. So at Alpha Nova in 2017, we basically turned the whole space into the lanai, which is the backyard porch. I don't know if you ever watched, no, okay, Mm -mm. Golden Girls. It's Miami in the 80s. I know, I know of (laughs) So Golden Golden Brown Girls is the future, but it's also the 80s. So we made the lanai. It was Miami. We painted blue skies. We got a whole bunch of tropical plants. We got 80s furniture and like... um, Which is easy to get in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Berlin, not so much. (laughs) And then so we set up these little uh, like almost like patio living room spaces, Uh kind of like... You know, in the 80s and the 90s, you know, maybe you had one TV, so you all had to sit and watch mm-hmm. the same thing together. Yeah, yeah. On you a know? tiny one. Yeah, on like... <laughs> Everyone's staring like yeah. two feet away. Yeah, yeah. You had to be in really close proximity. Yeah. <laughs> and so we set up these little stations where you could like lounge and watch the episodes and then we used the space to film new episodes. Uh. And... um so it just keeps going and we've collaborated with awkward single black moms and we did like a music video with them and the work has gone on to like Somerset House and other places in the States. So, and the thing that everyone, after they work with it, they're always like, you know, having this conversation and writing my future has sort of like made it less abstract and like sort of helped clear up for them. Like, yeah, yeah, it's really about the process of like writing and coming together, even in the final project. Right. So like, for example, with Sonia Barrett, our episode was like about like fighting for a seat at the table. And Sonia's position was, well, we should make our own table. Yeah. And she ended up. And then pre- they complain, why don't you invite us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go watch the episode and you'll figure it out. And she ended up creating an art residency space in Southern Germany. So Mm. we're going to go film that. And that sort of came up through that episode. So like really beautiful things have sort of happened through it. And it's, it's about the process and it's about community building and it's, yeah, it's just really, it's been great. And so um, is this like on YouTube or is it not yeah, private? Yeah, no. So it's on YouTube. Some of the latest videos are there. Thegoldenbrowngirls.com. Okay. And we've done... I didn't know about this until like you told me at lunch. Yeah. Because it's nowhere yeah. on your website or your, your Instagram. By the way. <laughs> by the way, I'm terrible. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's buried on my cv but i should put it on my instagram too and we just filmed a new episode with some comedians here in berlin how long are the episodes they're usually like f- anywhere from like three to ten minutes mm-hmm. like that's yeah. good length yeah i mean they're, they're actually they're getting shorter and shorter and i think it's better mm. like <laughs> it's just more concise but like yeah so we have we just filmed a new one and that should be up on the website in september maybe yeah, and it just keeps growing, and the community keeps growing, and people come. People are now like coming to us, but like, I have an idea for an episode now. Like, let's do this. So, it's yeah, it's a self. It's sort of a self-generating project. It's like a social. How machine. many episodes did you say? I feel like we have at least ten, 10 okay. right now. Yeah, I need to watch them. I wish I had seen them before we talked, so I had more <laughs> to add to it. <laughs> what was I gonna say? I think that's. I think that's everything. All right. Unless you have like one final question that's going to sum it all up and make it all 
<laughs> you want to sum up your <laughs> no, yourself? not at all, not at all. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm happy that we could talk, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm glad. That we met, I think I really enjoy the conversation that we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that to me is like the main goal of like art making is to like somehow facilitate and have these conversations. Is that what you think? I do think that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I like to paint. I think it looks cute, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like also, I think I want to create conversations yeah. like in real life with people and expand conversations. And yeah, ideas. yeah. So it's optimistic. <laughs> But we're doing it right now. No, I know. But I'm just like, but mostly our world is like, I think mostly art, art is like, a, uh, on the other hand, I always thought art is like a really selfish, isolating act, mm. you know? Mm, mm. And that's why I think most artists, when they get famous or you start to get fame, they care less about that dialogue because it's just, mm. they, it's, I mean, sort of like what you're talking about with like grad school is like you go to grad school to have that dialogue. And then once you leave, that dialogue ceases to exist, and ideally, when you get famous, you don't care. Yeah, yeah. About that dialogue, you're just making it for yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's very isolating. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. But hopefully not. Hopefully Ho- not. Hopefully not. Hopefully that's. I'll, not. I'll let you know yeah. when you get famous. <laughs> I'll be like Shannon. I have to break it to you, but you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> You've been doing that for the last 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> I can finally tell you. Yeah. <sighs> Hopefully not. Yeah. Or maybe you'd be great. You'll be rich and famous and who cares? You'd be like, fuck you all. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll I think see. that's a good note to end on. <laughs> okay. All right. all right. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, Please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.